Man, that was great. Truly, the Lord is in this place today. Don't believe me, just listen to Michelle. You know, what I was thinking as you were speaking, Michelle, living with Christ and living under the Lordship of Jesus, he doesn't come and whisk you away to some, some utopic fantasy land. No, he comes into your life. He comes into your interior. He's with you in your life, step by step, every step of the way, until you are ultimately called home. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for that. Uh, if you have a Bible, Matthew 23, verse 37. Matthew 23, verse 37. As you're turning, I want to say, Happy Mother's Day. I'm going to be reading today from uh, my first Bible that my mom gave me in uh, December of 1994, this Bible right here. Uh, it was Christmas. A year and a half later, after receiving this Bible, I was saved while holding this Bible. The pages were open to Romans chapter 5 in my lap. And at that moment, I was saved holding this Bible that my mother gave me. So I say all that to say, as you're opening up, and if you're not already there, Romans or uh, Matthew 23, moms, everything that you do, everything you have done, and everything you will do matters greatly, tremendously. Don't give up. More on that later. Matthew 23, verse 37 these are the words of Jesus this morning. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, holy God and Father, that you are here today in this place. Thank you for being in your word, with your word today. Thank you for being in our hearts and our minds today as we hear the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ in this one verse. Lord, because it's so painful to say, may I say it for, for us all today, may you mold our hearts and shape them how you will this morning. May your will be done this day as it is in heaven. Amen. I want to start off this morning with our short time together with my main point, with kind of the gist of everything, with my thesis, so to speak. It's not customary to start off that way, but we're going to start that way, and it's this. I want you to listen. The love of Christ is a willing love. It can be most persistent and most tender for his most stubborn rejectors. That's our point today. These words here in our text, I can't read too many verses for the sake of the time, but this comes right at the end of the woes to the Pharisees and the scribes that many of us have heard. It is among the final, these words are among the final words, almost the final words that Jesus says 
to the crowds, says publicly to the crowds that are gathered around him. This passage of scripture happens right after that lengthy rebuke to the scribes and the Pharisees and then about their twisted religious system that has become the norm among the Jewish people. And these words come before what is known as the Olivet Discourse, some of you may have heard, which was directed towards his disciples, which was more prophetic about what was to come. These words, he says, on the outskirts of Jerusalem near Mount Olive two days before he is to be arrested and handed over for a rigged trial and crucified, ultimately, just two days before. These is, this is what he said. This particular verse, verse 37, is a lament. It's, it's a lament. It's a heart cry by the Lord. Verse 38, we won't get into, is a warning, a dire forecast for the nation of Israel. Verse 39 is a glimmer of hope offered to the nation, by the, to the nation Israel by the Messiah. Both verse 38 and 39, Tommy will probably be touching on that as we go into Romans 10 and 11. But today we won't get into that. Today I want us to see the Jesus in this moment, verse 37, in this moment of his earthly ministry, as he considers his people that he came to save. Reading it again, the verse starts out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. Speaking not just to the city, but to the nation as a whole here, notice here the heartfelt cry of Jesus. You see that? The pity, the grief, the emotion. The nation of Israel is a people that God knows intimately. This is a people who have been the heart focus of God for generations. This is a people who God has relentlessly desired to reveal his grace and his mercy, to reveal his salvation, to reveal his redemption, not just to them but the entire world. But here we stand. And this is Jesus speaking to them. He looks over the city and he stands with the crowd and the disciples and grief is the emotional tone right there in that very moment. You see that? We can trace through our entire Bibles how God, from the first pages, how God has, for generations, they have clothed and fed and protected and nurtured, even spoken to, even fought for, even established this nation hearing their cries, seeing their plights, delivering them time and time again, giving them chance after chance after chance, not because of anything special on their part, but only to show them and the entire world just how special God is. God's plan for them wasn't just that they may prosper on earth or have an easy life, no. It was so that they may that he may refine their stubborn and evil and calloused hearts and have a people to dwell with him both now and in his, under his eternal holy kingdom. This all out of his love and grace overflowing onto them. He can't help it but want this for this people. After all, he is their creator, right? He is their father. It's no secret in Leviticus 26, God said, I will walk among you and be, and I will be your God and you will be my people. He said that. And again, in Revelation, in the future, 
He says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. But here in our text, Jesus points out what has become of Israel's identity in the world. It's not become that which is tied to dwelling with God. It's not become known as the holy city. It's not the beacon of the majesty of God, but the city who kills and stones those whom God sends. They are his rejectors. They are the rejectors of God. Just prior to these words in our passage, Jesus, he just issues a striking rebuke to the religious leaders for such bloodshed. I'm going to turn to it. It's the parable of the tenants. Should have marked it, but I didn't. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'll read it really fast. Listen fast. This is all just a very energetic portion of Scripture, guys. Listen to another parable. He's speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press and he, and he built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. And when harvest time approached, he sent some servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the service. They beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. Then the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he said, I will send my son. They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son coming, they said to one another, Hey, there's the heir. Come, let's take him. Let's throw him out of the vineyard. And they killed him too. Jesus says to them, he says, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? These very people who God has actively and passively been taking part in the killing of God's messengers for generations and generations, they now have the ultimate messenger himself right before them, Christ himself, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Jesus had said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He had said to them, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He said to them, I and the Father are one. The long-awaited Messiah, prophesied Messiah, is here among them, dwelling among them. But the Bible says he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But this people, this stubborn, blind, and evil people, the Lord says this. This is our point, too. He says, how often I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Yes, this people. See here the heart of Christ in his willingness to gather a people, even this kind of people. His very own retractors, murderers of the innocent, perverters of truth, apathetic to the ways and the will of God at best. He was willing. How often? Very often. 
The willingness of Christ here has brought him to this moment. Jesus has even told his disciples what must happen as he approached the city of Jerusalem. He tells his disciples, for a third and final time, we're going to Jerusalem. I'll be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn me to death, hand me over to the Romans. They will beat me. They will mock me. They will murder me. After three days, I will rise. He was willing to suffer these things. Oh, he's so willing, church. Christ knows what he must do to win the hearts of some. Christ in his innocence must suffer the full wrath of God for the guilt accumulated by this people so that they may be sheltered from their own penalty for their sin. He knows these children need protecting. He knows they need refuge. They need shelter from the judgment that they deserve. In his heart he longs to be this for them as a hen protects her chicks under her wings from a hawk in the sky or a snake on the ground. This tender, humble imagery of a mother hen is the way that Christ shows his heart's desire for the nation of Israel here. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? That amazes me. The Lord of glory stoops to the level of comparing himself to a hen. I can't believe it. He doesn't use the example of an alpha lion protecting his pride. He doesn't use the example of a gen general valiantly commanding a legion to defend the city. No. He says a hen as she would gather her chicks under her wings. Not only is he, is he willing, but he is not holding out. He is not threatening. He is not conditional. He's not intimidating. Now, I grew up in Mississippi. I've, not many of us, as time goes on, have the luxury of seeing this act of a hen gathering her chicks. Some of you have seen this. I grew up on farm, around farm animals, farm life. I've seen this before. And as I read scripture, I kind of get it. It's interesting to me. What happens is the mother hen's out in the barnyard. She's got her chicks around, maybe six, eight, ten, twelve of them. She's out there scratching and pecking. She's demonstrating how to live for her chicks. All the, while, while she, all the while she's demonstrating this to her chicks, she's looking almost at every chick constantly, watching. Each one of them, her eye is roaming, keeping watch over her. And they're paying attention to her. Not only is she showing them and scratching and, and pecking and showing them how to live, she's also keeping watch not only over the chicks, she's also keeping watch in the sky. She's watching for threats. All simultaneously. And all at once the chick will make a little chirp or say something. I don't know. I don't speak chicken. But the chicks, they, they hear it. They know what it is. They know the cry of the mother, the chirp or the whatever of the mother. And they come to the mother. And the, the mother kind of, she kind of, she doesn't go her wing, do her wings like this. She kind of spreads her wings just like this. And those chicks run in under her. And she kind of just settles down. She may even usher them off, maybe in some sort of protection a little bit. And until the threat passes... She hovers over them, protecting them. The cow didn't see the threat. The dog didn't bark. He didn't see the threat. The farmer didn't see the threat. But up on the branch is a hawk. The hen saw the threat. It's always amazed me. A hen, she doesn't gather her chicks just to exercise her authority. She doesn't gather her chicks uh, just to test them. She gathers her chicks when there's a threat to protect them, 
And Christ knows there's a threat. Even if the people don't see it, there's a threat. There is a looming threat. There's danger. There's danger of them losing their health. There's danger of losing youth. There's danger of losing their mobility. Danger of death in the grave. Danger of the consequences of past sins. Danger from the wrong choices that have been made. Danger from their own deceitful hearts. Danger from their own self-righteousness. Danger from the great adversary, the devil. Danger from the world's persecution. Danger of God, the wrath of God's judgment on their sin. Danger of the impending destruction of, of Jerusalem by the Roman Empire in A.D. 70. There's danger. and He knows it. What's likely to happen to the chicks if they don't heed the call of protection to be gathered unto the hen? What happens to those chicks? They suffer the fate of the looming threat. And that's what's happening here. Our third point. And you were not willing. This is perhaps the saddest portion of the verse. After hearing the call to be gathered unto Christ time and time again, for generations, I would add, Christ knows the outcome of those who are unwilling, and it grieves his heart. For Christ has said to the people before, anyone who believes in Christ's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. God said in Ezekiel, one of the prophets from generations ago in the Old Testament, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. We may react with a sense of judgment and of a sense of justice almost in our hearts if we were, as if we were Jesus and say, well, they should get what they deserve for rejecting Jesus like this. But this is not the heart of the Father. No, the Bible says in 2 Peter, it says that God's desire is that not any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Even on the cross, as Jesus lay on the cross, hanging with his, almost like his wings spread open, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And my favorite in John 6 he said, I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives to me will come and whoever comes, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That is my, one of my favorite verses. It's not Jesus who is the holdout here. It's the people. Why? Why? Why would someone refuse such a non-threatening, humble invitation, right? Such a loving, easy protection of deliverance from that which threatens them. Why? Was it, was it ignorance? No, it wasn't ignorance. They had messengers for generations. They even had miracles. Was it ignorance? Was it indifference? No, it wasn't indifference. They were quite in their religion. 
They all were attempting to earn and keep God's favor as if it depended on merit or man's achievement. Was it intolerance? No, he was one of them. He was a Jew. He was of their own people. Indignation? There's no guilt in Jesus. He was guiltless. He was never unfair, never unjust, never arrogant, never condescending, never rude. I dare you to find it. No one could. What was it? What was it? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 2 tells us it's, we kind of complicate that answer sometimes. But the writer of Hebrews kind of quite simply tells us this in, in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, They had the good news proclaimed to them, meaning the nation of Israel. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those patriarchs of faith. They did not share the faith of those who obeyed. They didn't believe him. They don't want to believe him. They were unwilling to put their eternal confidence in a man who claimed to be the Messiah, which announced that he was the one who would fulfill all that the law requires of them. Generation upon generation had failed to keep perfect the holy law time and time again all throughout their own history, but Jesus wouldn't fail. He didn't fail. Right before their very eyes. Jesus earlier said in Matthew, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not only did he fulfill the law, but the creator of all things came to be the payment, the propitiation as it's called, for the sins of his people. He was the fulfillment of the sacrificial lamb for the Jewish people. It was no secret. Jesus, As Jesus approached the banks of the Jordan River before his baptism, John the Baptist, with his knowledge of the Old Testament and revelation by God, announced publicly, Behold, the Lamb of God! This people not willing to accept. It wasn't popular. It wasn't what they had in mind, this lowly son of a carpenter who hung out with sinners and tax collectors. He's even comparing himself to a hen. Unbelievable. He didn't come riding on the clouds, commanding a legion to conquer the Roman Empire on behalf of Israel so that Israel would have world domination and no one would ever subjugate them to anything ever again. No, he didn't do that. He came to conquer something more. He came to conquer the penalty of their sin, salvation from the punishment and the wrath that they deserved, the deliverance of his people to an eternal promised land. peace and prosperity that they've always hoped for, but in a way they could hardly imagine. He came to gather a people unto himself, but they were not willing. That's astonishing, isn't it? Think about it. When we all say it out loud, it's just astonishing. So you may say today, Mother's Day, why such a sad 
statement made by Jesus about the nation of Israel. Why are we spending time here? Why are we focused on that? I'll tell you why. What we see here in our passage is an illustration of Jesus' humble yet mighty display of his love for those who he wills to gather, that he is willing to gather. Is this not the same Jesus which with such patience has pursued us all here today? All of us here today and even this very morning to some of us. He pursues us, he calls us, he cries out to us our entire lives to offer his protection, offer his way, to offer his life. This as we are all like chicks in a barnyard. Not very good at perceiving evil or the danger all around us. Not even good at perceiving the danger from within us. Not very good either at even responding to that danger. So on one hand we have that and on the other we have the illustration of the nation of Israel. As we see this willing Jesus seeking to gather this people some of us here today can relate to the nation of Israel in that we are not willing. Oh, it's a cursed place to be, to be left to our own devices, to be left to the consequences of our own sin, especially the final consequence of our sin apart from Christ. If you're sitting here today and for so long you have not been willing, won't you come? See the urgency and the tenderness and the willingness of this Christ, won't you come? Christ calls you today and he is seeking to gather you yet again. He's willing. May it not be said today that you were not willing. And then finally, mothers. And future mothers and the mothers that have departed from us. I want you to hear this. There is perhaps no greater example of this love that we see in Jesus Christ right here in this very verse than that we see in the life of a mother. Christ uses here the example of a mother hen to illustrate his tenderness. This patience, the patience here, the humility, the selflessness, all encapsulated and required by motherhood is seen right here. I implored you, moms, behold this Jesus. For this Jesus is the one that calls unto you. This very Jesus is the one that you are imitating often to an unwilling child. This Christ is the one that has shown such great favor to you. Even today, and there's more to come in your life, I promise. Not only do I promise, God's word promises. Behold this Jesus. The heart cry of Christ says to you in Matthew 11, Come unto me if you labor, and if you're heavy laden, I will give you rest. Oh, and do not grow weary, he says, in doing such good as demonstrating such love. For the Bible says in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. That's Galatians 6. And he says, let the love of Christ permeate your tired and weary bones and your busy mind. See then that harmony begins to enter your life. That's Colossians 3. 
Anybody here have too much harmony going on in their life? This Christ, this Jesus, this love will not only give life now, but he will give life abundantly. Let it in, Mom. Let it in, soak in it, and let it out. Breathe it in and breathe it out. Behold this willing and tender Jesus today on your Mother's Day. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, Father, take these words today and take your scripture, Lord, and apply it to our minds and our hearts. Lord, we, we worship you and we praise you for such a willing Savior, such an open, non-threatening, unintimidating, tender Jesus, one that conquers all for us. God, may not we... May we not only know this love, but may we feel this love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.